Hey, we're so glad you could join us on our podcast today. We hope this message equips and inspires you. And if you're ever in the Liverpool area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services. Our service times are 11am and 6pm. For now though, enjoy this podcast. You know what else is kind of inappropriate is the name and the title of a bunch of people that had a career in and around the time of the Industrial Revolution. And this ran right the way up to the early 1950s. Do you know that you could actually get a job if you were the early bird on your street, if you were the guy that maybe woke up before everybody else, then you could get employed by everybody else on your street, everybody else in your neighborhood, and you would be called the official knocker-upper of that estate. And your job, this is true, you can Google it, but be careful what you Google, but you can literally, <laughs> yeah, in fact, this is going downhill and we're only like three minutes in, it's like nothing new here, right? But you could literally, you could get a job as, as the official knocker-upper and you would have this great big stick and pole that would have like a brush head attached to it. I mean, this is, this is, just, this is just not working very well, is it? Again, so I guess if I just send you the notes and, oh, forget it, this is just not going right. We have to do this far too regularly, so now we're gonna go into church mode because we are a church and I promise you, at some point we're gonna try and get to the Bible, I promise you. But here's the thing, they would have the job of tapping on the window of everybody that would pay them to wake them up. And they were not allowed to move from the window until that person that had paid their money had kind of let them know somehow that they were now in fact awake. You know, it's kind of like the job that I would imagine that if you were the guy that was waking everybody up today to kind of make sure that they didn't miss something that was going to be good that was in their future or miss something like work that was going to be important and significant for them. At the same time as them receiving a financial recompense for their work, I think that they probably would have got quite a lot of stick. I think that actually they would have been the unloved people on the street because they were the ones that were like getting everybody out of the warm comfort of their bed every single day. That just must have felt really awkward for them. But you know, I think the writer of Hebrews must have felt that awkwardness too. You know, the scriptures are fantastic, but I think that for us, one of the things that we've got to be mindful of is that we sometimes lean in heavily and deeply to some of the scriptures that are just absolutely incredible, scriptures about God's love and God's care and God's compassion for every single one of you, the scriptures that convey to us an idea that God not only knows you, but he really does have an incredible plan for every single one of your lives. I mean, that's just awesome, and we love that, and we like to focus in on that as a church a lot, but also as well, contained within the scriptures, there are also certain passages that aren't always that easy to swallow, you know? I mean, actually, some of the things that are portrayed in the scriptures are quite hard and difficult to get your head around. And I don't think that we as church leaders would be very good at what we do. In fact, we'd be doing you a disservice if we were to only concentrate on the good stuff and completely ignore other stuff that might be harder to swallow, but nevertheless still important. And I think that the writer of Hebrews will have understood this when he was writing in Hebrews 2, and we're going to get there in just a moment, a piece of text that probably made him feel like he was the awkward guy that was kind of like tapping on the window of your faith life, trying to make sure that you didn't miss what really could be awesome and ahead of you in your future. 
where he says this. He says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Drift away. It's interesting to me because what it conveys to us is that the writer actually thought that it is possible for you to drift away in terms of your faith. The writer was convinced that it's possible for you to drift away from your relationship with God. It's almost like he was saying, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that you've got to pay particular attention to. You can't just kind of embrace the scriptures, the things that you love, and then dismiss what you don't, but you've got to pay careful attention to everything that you've heard, even in nights like this at church at Liverpool One. Pay attention to what you've heard, because if you don't, it's possible that you can drift out of relationship with God. He was saying, do you know, guys, look, it is possible for you to place on the peripheral of your life that which may even be right front and center right now. I mean, you could be literally on fire for God right now, but what he's saying is, look, don't take that for granted. Whatever you do, you've got to be mindful that that can actually end up on the peripheral, on the outskirts of your life, if you allow it to happen. So in an attempt to help us today from drifting away from our relationship with God, he kind of calls it out and he just says it as it is. He says, look, this is a problem and it's not specific to any particular one person or group of people, but actually this could happen to any single one of us. So I don't want you to think that this could only happen to you in terms of drifting away. Actually, it could happen to any single one of us, me included. In fact, maybe there's been times in my life, as there have been yours, where when you've kind of evaluated where you're at in your relationship with God, you just know that you're not quite where you want to be. You're not quite where you feel like you should be. You're not where you could be. In fact, he's not the only writer in the scriptures to point towards this idea of drifting away from God as being a problem that we've got to earnestly try and avoid. Another writer talks about it like this. He kind of says, like, whatever you do, guys, in your fellowship of Christ, just make sure that you don't fall away from your first love. In other words, he was kind of saying, look, you know the way in which you loved on God the most when you first decided to follow him? when you felt like he had just completely invaded your life and you became a Christian, the way in which you fell in love with God, well, whatever you do, make sure that you don't move away from that essence of love towards God, but you've got to return towards your first love. In fact, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he talks about exactly the same premise, but using slightly different language. He describes it like this. He says, look, When it comes to your relationship with God, you've got to kind of be mindful that you're always either hot or cold. In other words, that you're like all for God or kind of completely dismissive of him and against him. Because whatever you do, and it's kind of like gross language that he uses here, it's really interesting, he says, but whatever you do, don't find yourself living your relational life in terms of your faith with God in this lukewarm water bracket. Don't be in the middle. And he actually goes on to say that actually because God finds that lukewarmness repulsive, so much so that he spits it out of his mouth. It's kind of like he was saying, look, you can be hot for God or you can be cold for him, but whatever you do, guys, don't 
Don't be lukewarm. Don't live life in the middle. And you know, I think there's such a difference between drifting away from God and turning away from him. I mean, at least if you turn away from God, you know, kind of decide, hey, that's not for me. I don't want to follow God anymore. I no longer believe in Jesus or I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to be a part of a church. At least you're making an intentional choice and you're going to kind of fall into that category of being cold. But at least you're kind of being one or the other. But the problem with drifting is that you can drift away from God very unintentionally. It's the same with your faith that you can drift away and not even realize that you're drifting. You can move for miles and not even feel the motion because drifting is subtle. It happens without intention. It happens by mistake sometimes. Even it can happen by errors. Drifting is slow. That's why it's hard to spot. It's really easy to drift away from God because you can drift so slowly, but over such a long period of time that you end up miles away in terms of your relationship from God and where you want it to be, and yet you don't even know it. You know, there are several ways that we all have challenges. There are several ways that we can all drift in our faith. Perhaps one of the main reasons that we drift sometimes, and this can happen to any single one of us, right? It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. But maybe one of the number one reasons we could say as to be in the cause of why we drift in our relationship with God, it's because we're not anchored. It's kind of like we've just got nothing holding us firm, almost like we're just not planted in solid ground. You know, that's why here at Liverpool One Church, we are such big advocates of like encouraging you to plant yourself and be part of a local church. And you know what? Hey, here's the deal. We don't even mind if it's not this church, but so long as that you're planted in a church and you're not just kind of, you know, doing the whole church hopping thing and coming here, going there, visiting here, there one minute out the next. It's like, no, 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 no. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in his courts. You've got to sometimes choose to be planted in a local church, be a part of a local church because you can find Christ on your own, but you can't follow him alone. You can find God on your own, but you cannot follow him on your own. And I understand that there are many reasons why sometimes people find it difficult to be part of a local church or commit to a local church. Sometimes churches let you down. I'm sure if you stick around here long enough, this church, I promise you, it will let you down. And that's simply because we're all trying our very best to follow a very perfect God, but we recognize that we are completely imperfect people. So it's likely that we're going to mess things up sometimes. We're going to cause offense. We're going to upset you. We don't want it to be like that. But because I'm human, because you're human, and we're all trying to do this thing together, it's highly likely that that will happen sometimes. But some people say, you know what, I don't go to a local church anymore, yet they're trying to follow Christ and follow God. And what they say is it's because it, like, it just wasn't good enough or something happened and it just wasn't quite perfect enough. But here's the thing, I'm not sure that your attendance at church is about you being the recipient of perfection, but rather it's about you just giving of your best and you just playing your part. That's what being part of a local church is. And when you choose to be plugged into a local church, it kind of anchors 
your faith, your relationship with God. You know, some people who I speak to, and maybe you speak to them as well, they try and make out that their Christian walk is just going on so strong with God, yet they do it outside of a local church. They do it like without having a place that they call home. And yet if you kind of just peel back the layers and ask them a few questions, what you can find is that there are many things that are completely non-existent that are actually really fundamental to our fellowship of Jesus. So if you say to somebody, you know, yeah, I follow God with, they say to you, I follow God with all of my heart, but I just don't want to be involved in the church thing because they're all hypocrites. And it's like, well, tell us something we don't know. I promise you we are. Stick around long enough. You'll see that for yourself. And it's just not perfect or it's just not good enough. When you kind of say to them, well, who do you pray with? The answer is always no one. Who do you study scripture with? The answer is no one. And who do you give to of your time, of your resource? Well, it's no one. And they are just three really fundamental things for those of us that profess to follow Christ that we should all be doing when we're plugged in to a local church, not being connected into the life stream of a life-giving, healthy church will see you drift in your faith. You know, the second thing, and this can affect us all, right? The second thing that can cause us to drift is where there is no propulsion. Without any intentional thrust, push, drive, determination, momentum, or impetus, wherever you end up in life will not be because that's where you intended to get to. Without propulsion, you will drift and end up wherever the elements take you. What I mean by this is kind of similar to many people kind of describe what they desire in terms of a relationship with God. People will say things like, I want to know that God is real. I want to know and experience his presence in my life. I want to follow him and know that he's close. I want to be absolutely convinced that he is for me, that on every step of the journey of my life, I just want to know and feel like God has gone ahead of me. I want my spirit to be convicted, that his presence is always with me, that my mind is always on him, and that the Lord is amongst us. That's what people often want in terms of a real and authentic relationship with the one and only God. And yet, what we desire, it never happens by fluke. It doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by any kind of mystical or magical means at all. In fact, it happens because of the intentional patterns and habits that you build into your life. James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 8, he writes this, and I think that anything that's written by the very brother of Jesus, we've got to kind of pay attention to because, you know, I have brothers and it would be a big ask of me to convince me that one of those was the one and only son of the one and only God. So whatever James writes, I'm kind of all ears on. I'm all interested in this. He writes this about how your relationship with God works. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You know, in this church here at Liverpool One, one of the things that we'll often be found to be saying is, if you describe where you are at and where God is, if, it were, if he were a thousand steps away from you, the way that a relationship with God works is like you take one step, and then the moment that you take the one, he'll take the 999. 
I think that that's what James is here trying to convey to us, because the promise is that God really will draw near to you. You will experience that closeness. You will experience his presence and his peace and that just ever essence of of, of his sense around everything that you do and all that you are, but he draws near to you when you choose first to come close to him. It's as you go to him, he draws near to you. That's what propulsion looks like. You know, the scriptures say it, In other places too, they say, when you knock, the door will be opened. But what we want in terms of a relationship with God is him to just open the door without us ever having to do any knocking at all. You know, it kind of says, you know, if you ask, then it will be given. Again, what we want is him to give us everything without us ever having to ask of anything at all. See, the bottom line is, is that when you choose to put into motion some habits and patterns that are intentional about drawing close to God, then he will draw close to you. Without it, you have no propulsion and you can drift away in your relationship with him. You know, another reason why we often are found drifting in our relationship with Christ is because of trauma. In 2017, in October, there were two women that had gone off sailing and they ended up 900 miles off the southeast coast of Japan. They ended up drifting for five months, surviving only on some pre-packed packets of pasta. And what had happened to them is they'd set off sailing. However, they'd encountered a storm on the way that had completely taken out their engine. And it had also severely damaged their mast. It was only when they were spotted by a Taiwanese fishing vessel that they were able to alert the, the Coast Guard and the military. But In the same way that trauma took them out and sent them adrift, I think exactly the same thing happens to us in our faith life too. Trauma, when it happens, when it cuts you, when it scars you, it kind of knocks us off course. It takes our breath away. You know, when you get the news that a loved one has been diagnosed with cancer, it's a trauma that cuts deep and scars badly. Traumas can adversely affect your relationship with God. When you find out that someone that you loved has been diagnosed with a terminal illness, or when you lose someone, a life partner, it cuts deep and it scars you. When you're facing financial ruin, when the company is on the bridge of collapse, when you're going through divorce, when you're constantly facing the rejection from potential employers, and you've got no idea why you just can't land the job, and now everything has gone into some kind of crazy mess. Those kind of traumas can negatively outwork themselves in our faith life. Why? Because the storms of life batter us all. Their waves topple over us. Its wind is relentlessly, forcefully pushing us over. And during the trauma and after the trauma, it's really easy to lose sight of what's important. When you've been scarred, it's easy to go adrift in your relationship with God. You know, perhaps the final thing that can cause you to drift in your relationship with Christ is an external force. In the same way that a boat can run adrift for many miles, over many months, by even the slightest of wind. So it is in your faith in terms of your fellowship 
of Christ. You know, if you hang in the wrong places long enough, all of a sudden, the opinions of everybody else, even though they might be different to the faith convictions that you have, those environmental differences can pull and weigh heavy on your relationship with God. Your external environment can change the way you think. Often we want to be the influencer, but we can end up being the influenced. You know, our youngest son said something funny to my wife, Emma, a few months back. They were driving on the M62, heading back into Liverpool, when they went past Ikea. And without any prompt at all, Saul starts to say to Emma, we hate Ikea, don't we? And she, he was like, you know, really convinced that we hate Ikea. And Emma is kind of going, well, why on earth would you say that, Saul? Do you even know what they sell in Ikea? And he was like, well, I don't know what they sell, but we hate Ikea. The funny thing is, is my wife loves Ikea. However, I despise the place. It's just too big. I am the guy that like, if I want something, I'll just next day straight to my house, super easy, and don't like it, I'll just send it back. It's like, I've no need to interact with anybody. I don't need to follow the map or the arrows on the floor. I don't even have to try the Swedish meatballs. I can avoid everything. I can just stay right away from the place. And all he's ever heard me say about Ikea is, I hate that place, and I'm not going there. And all of a sudden, that external influence of me on his life have caused him to formulate the same viewpoint on that place. I think it's exactly the same in our faith life too. When you hang with the wrong people, when you run in the wrong crowd, they can influence and adversely affect your faith life. It can cause you to drift. It can even cause you to run aground. So, how can you recognize if you're drifting? Because if this is something that affects us all, are there certain signposts or lights on the dashboard that maybe could say to us, look, you've got to be careful now. Like the writer of Hebrews encouraged us, be careful because you've got to pay close attention to everything that you've heard, everything that you've read in the scriptures, everything that you've learned, because if you don't, you're on the verge of drifting away. And if I'm honest, I'm going to talk to you about some things that I've found in my own personal life. And I'm not saying at all that I've got this right over all the years, because I promise you, I have not. But these are things that I've noticed that when these things are missing or are present in my life, that I find myself drifting outside of that close relationship with God that I actually want in the depth of my heart. But these things are indicators that if you don't sort these things out, you're going to drift and you might even run Ground. So the first thing is this, you're drifting when your life consists of prayerlessness. It's like when you first started to follow God, when you first became a Christian, you would pray and want to converse with him all of the time about even the smallest and the slightest of issues going on in your world. You'd feel confident about praying and talking to him about those matters. But now, now you're drifting your life has pretty much zero prayer at all. Not only does your life not have any prayer at all, but you'll also start to feel like, well, what's the point in me praying anyway? Does God even know? Does God even care? Can God even hear? So you now only, don't only not pray, but you now question its entire worth and validity as well. It's a sign that you're drifting in your faith. 
Another sign would be when you spend no time in the word of God. It's kind of like when you first made a commitment to follow God, when you really knew that Jesus Christ had been sent to put on skin and flesh and walk the planet amongst us as human beings, and you recognized that his life was given on a cross for you, you were so overwhelmed with appreciation and such a thankful heart for all that he'd done for you that you were like studying the scriptures as often as you could. You'd have this habit. You'd have this routine where you'd wake up earlier, 20 minutes earlier in the morning, grab a coffee, and then you'd just sit and maybe you'd read a chapter out of the New Testament and a, and a psalm or a proverb. There's one for every day. You know, it's kind of like maybe that was your habit, but now you're drifting. So you don't have that habit anymore. Not only do you not read the scriptures in terms of opening up the Bible, the book, but you don't even have the notifications switched on on your YouVersion Bible app anymore. It just kind of drove you a bit crazy and you're like, well, I don't really need that anyway. I don't really want that. When you have absolutely no time in the word of God, it's highly likely that your faith life is drifting. Attendance at church decreases. This is a real significant warning light on the dashboard. You know, if you want to know whether or not you're drifting in your faith life, just have a look and see how you've been attending church recently. Because most people who end up falling out of their relationship with God, they often don't do it because they've made a choice. They do it because they've completely drifted away from God, away from the people of God, away from the church, which, by the way, was the very thing that Christ's life was given for on a cross for us to be a part of. So be mindful that if you see your attendance just kind of going to zero or dropping off the chart, it's a warning light saying, hey, you know what? Maybe you're drifting right now. You know, another thing that you've got to keep check is this. When you're drifting, what you find is that you compromise your morals and your beliefs. All of a sudden, you realize that, that now it's no longer a big deal if you go out and get drunk and cause carnage along with everybody else that you're hanging with because that was your old life and that's your current life. But even though you know and recognize that when you first made a commitment to follow God, that that was something that you really kept in check, but now all of a sudden you're willing to compromise on that. You know, going to more parties, doing this, it gets more crazy, taking this, trying that. And why not? Because what harm can come from it anyway? Everybody's doing it, right? You compromise on your morals and your beliefs, your language slips. You went through this season when you first made a, a determination in your heart to follow Jesus that you were going to speak right, and you were only going to allow good and wholesome things to come out of your mouth, and you were going to change your vocabulary. You weren't going to use crude language. You weren't going to use certain words, certain phrases, but now all of a sudden, the way that you talk is no different to how everybody else talks in the office or on the sports field. There's just no difference because it's just compromise. You swear, they swear, they're crude, you're rude. It's like, it's just how it is now. It's a sign that you can be drifting. Compromise on your morals and your beliefs. It's like before you were dating, you had this idea in your mind's eye that you were going to follow God and that you knew that God was a holy God and that he had a plan for your life and he wanted to bless you and he wanted to bless you relationally. So you had this way of thinking that you're going to live life honoring God. 
But now it's like you're X amount of months in, you're further down the line, and now your relationship is just the same as everybody else's. As far as sexual intimacy is concerned, well, there's no different to you following Christ as anybody else that doesn't follow Christ. It's like you share all these parts of your life that actually were designed for the safety and the confinements of marriage, but you choose to just do now what everybody else does because you're compromising your morals and your beliefs. It's a sign that you're drifting in your relationship with God when you just share everything all too soon. You're drifting if you compromise on your beliefs. So what do we do? What do we all do if we find ourselves drifting in our faith life? Is there anything that we can even do? I think that there's a great story that's found in John's gospel in chapter 21 that will kind of give us great insight to something that maybe we can all learn the art of doing it arrives at this particular time in the life of the disciples whereby they had basically seen all of their hopes and dreams completely scattered. They'd been following Jesus and they thought that he'd come to be the savior, literally of the world. He was going to be the king and they thought he was going to turn everything that was going wrong and make it all right. But then all of a sudden, they saw him crucified on a cross and they couldn't figure it out. This wasn't supposed to be happening. They weren't yet fully, completely aware that he had, in fact, been brought back to life, that he'd been resurrected. So we find this interesting story in John 21 that reads in verse 1 this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So here is Peter, right? We actually spoke about him last week in series one of this current series. And what's interesting is that Peter's at the lowest point of his relational life with God right now. He's seen Jesus crucified and killed on the cross, and this was not how it was supposed to be. Everything, as far as he was aware and he was concerned, was going completely wrong. And yet what we find in this story is Peter, in his feeling like his relationship with God is broken state, he makes this statement where he turns around to everybody that's with him and he just kind of says it like this. You know, you can imagine, typical bloke, he's like, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. It's interesting that when you look back, as we spoke about last weekend, that when Jesus first called Peter and said to him, let which means come and follow me. It was the highlight moment of his life. It's interesting. Well, what was he doing? He was fishing. He was fishing. It's almost like Peter in this story, in this statement, which happens immediately before he ends up seeing Jesus and literally having breakfast with him on a beach. I mean, how cool is that? It's almost as though what Peter was saying was this. I don't know how this is going to work, but somehow I'm going to have to make a way to get back to the start. Somehow I need to get back to the place 
where God, you first found me. Somehow I need to get back to the place where you first called me. So I'm like, I'm going fishing, God. I'm gonna do that which I love to do because I just need to clear my head of all of the distractions and find out who you are. I mean, are you even real, God? Are you even there anymore? What happened, God? It feels like I'm drifting. So I've gotta get back to the start. What's interesting is I think that what Peter was trying to do was ensure that his relationship was not gonna go lukewarm. Because in the same way that John writes in Revelation, guys, like whatever you do, like be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. I think that Peter was doing that which was needed and necessary for him to get hot again in his relationship with God. Because if I was to try and give you a picture of how it often works when we drift, it would be similar to this. If, if we all were to start off in our relationship with God, and it's almost like the moment where we hit the on button. It's the moment where the water starts to boil and we feel close to God. We know that God's called us. We know that God's loving us. We know that God's got a plan for our life. And it feels to us like He's real and we know of His presence and we know of His peace and everything's great. And we're worshiping God and we're spending time in the Word of God. And it feels to us in those early days, in those early weeks, in those early months that we kind of start to boil in our relationship towards Jesus. It's like, it's like things just keep getting better and better and better. In the same way that the water will bubble and steam and get hot, so does our faith. It's kind of like that's who we become on the day that Jesus says to us, come and follow me. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. It's like what the writer of Hebrews was saying to us, whatever you do in your faith, don't drift away from who you're supposed to be. Don't drift outside of the relationship with God that you were designed to have. And yet what we often find is our faith goes cold. The traumas happen, life happens. We don't put any intentional propulsion into our life and we end up kind of lukewarm, just a little bit tepid, neither here, neither there. And some way, somehow, we've got to figure out what is it that we have to do to flick the switch? What do you need to get back to? What would you get him back to the start in terms of your faith with God? What would that look like for you? Some of you might think, well, I don't even know if that's possible because you don't know what I've been doing in these weeks. You don't know what I've been doing in these months. No, I promise you, I promise you it is possible because it's like you take one step and he'll take the 999. It is possible, but only you can flick the switch. Only you can make the change. Only you can take the choice about being intentional, about pursuing God and all that He is and ensuring that your faith life towards Him is not cold and is not lukewarm, but actually is red, steaming,